2012. Um, I have a sponsor. I'm here with her this evening, which is an honor and a privilege. And I have a home And um, these suit things are kind of important because this is not my first rodeo. I was a rodeo clown. I quit. <laughs> oh, that's and, great. Um, you know, there's not, there's really, in 10 minutes, there's nothing, you know, garden variety alcoholic, like I drank, I fell down, I threw up, I got a DUI, you know what I mean? I mean, some people tell these great, I don't have a great drunk story, you know what I mean? Um, the great things didn't happen until I got, so, you know, until I got sober. I mean, if you want to know if I, you know, if I qualify for this program, um, I come from a long line of moonshine hillbillies. Um, I thought that, yeah, I thought that everybody had an American flag in the bottom of their car when I was a kid, and that's because my grandparents' car had Pall Mall cigarette wrappers and perhaps blue rim beer cans on there. If you're three, you think that's an American flag. You know, I remember the first time I got in somebody else's car, I was like, hmm, you know. Um, my family, you know, hardworking. I grew up in Michigan. Most everybody works at the, you know, at the auto plant, and, um, when the auto industry crashed, my father was nice enough to move us to a beautiful place called Modesto, California. Um, and if you've ever visited California, which I've been to San Francisco, Los Angeles, I thought the whole state had that little strip, you know, with like the palm trees and literally moved to Modesto, California the day that Skylab fell to earth, which is also the evening that they had a festival called uh, Graffiti Night. So. I grew up in Detroit, walked down to McKinley <coughs> Avenue, looked like I'm from the Lords of Flatbush, you know, I'm from Detroit. And I looked at McKinley Avenue, I went back to talk to my dad, and I'm like, what have you done to us? Like, this is just time warp. It was like, there's 50s cars cruising. Anyways, you know, just, um, you know, average, you know, school skipping, blah, 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 blah. Fast forward, um, you know, 29 years old, a spiritual breakdown, you know, um, I got sober in reverse. I didn't have a God when I was a kid. My parents, do you want to, you know, do you want to go to catechism? Do you want to go to dance class? Do you want to play baseball? The most exposure I had to God previous to being exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous were the books and the doctor's office had the God stories. Like I'd look at them, you know, my father was an attorney, very self-made, very self-reliant. So, um, we, you know, that wasn't prominent in, in our house. We, you know, raised very determined. You could be anything. Oh, except if you're a girl. Anyways, moving on. We had to write about that later. And, um, you know, I came into the program and, um, you know, things just, things just started changing. I mean, I started changing. I remember the, um, first thing I noticed is the day I realized that nothing was wrong and I was waiting for the shoe to drop. About 90 days, walking home, tears just streaming down my face. I get to, you know, at 90 days, we're all in group living, right? They're like, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong and it feels so strange. You know what I mean? But, you know, you just have to, uh, you know, you have to sit through those, uh, sit through those moments. And, um, you know, all the, all the all the promises seem to work uh, really well for me when I'm really busy. I'm one of those alcoholics that, you know, when things are going good, I'm on the camping committee. I'm on, you know, I'm a GSR. I'm, you know, this and that and moving along. And then things are going on. God's working stuff out um, in the background. 
and um you know just the ability to i don't know if there are any other people here that are emotional but i would have a lot of before the steps i would have a lot of problems um expressing myself proficiently i'm not saying i express myself proficiently now all the time but it really helped to understand why i was you know angry and anger was contorted and you know emotionally dyslexic and not understanding what's going on and um it really changed um it really changed my it really changed my life i was able to communicate not um not that i punched people in the face but i just was angry all the you know angry just couldn't you know couldn't express um couldn't get it right um during uh during this time um i you know got a partner uh we got a we got a little house and you know things are things are rolling around rolling along and uh my mom has a stroke and um my mom gets to come live with us and the last couple of years have been really different with covid little uh little zoom uh not a lot of not a lot of meetings um trying to keep uh trying to keep her safe and especially after january of 2020 when my um when my brother passed away but my life predominantly consists right now of um you know staying sober keeping my little daily routine going at the house and um Assist, assisting her you know I have the uh, opportunity to work at work from home but tonight I was super excited well, I was super excited earlier in the week because we decided where we're coming and it's been a long time since we've done like the AA gypsy caravan you know drive around the city pick a few people up and I remember when I was uh, first over uh, in 2012 my sponsor had a uh, three-seater vehicle I'm in Bellflower. They sit per sobriety, so you know I'm in the back, right? In the third seat. I don't know. If you're over 40, trying to get in the third seat, you know, that's hard. Anyways, I remember I was absolutely thrilled when somebody fell out the wagon because I got to move to the second seat, right? <laughs> yes. Right? And then here come the new girls and me in the I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to go to Timbuktu. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. And my sponsor, I'd be like, where are we going? She'd be like, what do you got better to do? Be quiet, right? So the new girls get in the car. Where are we going? What do you got to do? You ain't got nothing better to do. Be quiet, right? She would laugh, you know? But the thing that, um, it's the fellowship. It's the love. It's the, it's the camaraderie. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have an active sponsor. Um, right now my mom's on um, hospice. And I got to, I don't know, it sounds weird to say I got to have her. Six years, you know, she spent with us. And a couple times she got um, physically depleted and, you know, the rehab people came out. And I'm like, you're not doing this right, you know? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this. And it was, it's just such a gift to be able to give back to her. Because I remember when I was, um, Young, ripping and running. One night I got up to um, leave the house and I was pretty headstrong and um, I was getting up to leave the house in the middle of the night and kind of hard to get out the front door when your mom is sleeping in front of it in a sleeping bag, you know? <laughs> and we had a nice house. My mom did not have to be sleeping in front of the front door in a sleeping bag, you know? But she didn't know. 
and she comes from her family from a long line of alcoholism too and she knew she knew what was happening but we didn't have the we didn't have AA yet we didn't have the knowledge we didn't you know we didn't have that and it's been um, an incredible opportunity to uh, give back to her but somebody else was smart enough to get me active before this happens you know to try to get me back into the um, middle of the herd if you're new just find somebody to follow along I mean I've heard it's uh, you know monkey see monkey do like if somebody feeds your spirit makes you smile just follow them until they tell you to you know not I mean they probably won't but I mean you you know you have to change um, you have to change everything um, you have to change it you know really slowly and um, be very careful and is somebody keeping track of the time or was I supposed to do that Okay. Are we, are we okay or? Okay. okay. So if I stop, am I stopping too early? Okay. <laughs> so um, thank you for listening to me, and um, I think right now we are going to do the seventh tradition. Correct? No, we already passed it. We did. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. So then he introduced the speaker. Would that be appropriate? Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Okay. And um, tonight, I'm not sure who the speaker is. Um, I'm interested. Our speaker for the night is uh, Roseanne B. from Seal Beach. Hi, my name is Roseanne and I'm an alcoholic. I first want to thank Les for asking me to come and speak. It is an absolute honor and a privilege to come here and speak. So thank you very, very much. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do is tell you a little bit about what it was like before I got sober, how I got sober, and how I've been able to stay here. Um, my sobriety date is March 1, 1987. And by the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have not taken a drink since that time. And I'm very grateful. And if you're trying to calculate, it's 35 years. <laughs> I'll just help you out. <laughs> and um, I have a sponsor, her name is Willa. She has a sponsor, who has a sponsor, who has a sponsor, who has a sponsor. I sponsor women, they sponsor women, they sponsor women. And that's how the legacy goes on. You know, we, we, what I have learned is you have to give it away to keep it. And um, my home group is the Bellflower Big Book Group. And, um, and I love my home group. And if you don't have a home group, then you should get a home group because that's where you are accountable, where you will be noticed when you don't show up, where you have your commitments, where it's important, it's your home base. And our home group does a lot of different things. We have potlucks, we have breakfast, you know, once a quarter, we have birthdays, I mean, all kinds of things. And the fellowship is just incredible. So I'm very grateful for that. I will tell you that, um, first of all, everything that I say tonight is my own personal experience, strength, and hope. If you wanna know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous, go to the big book, 
12 and 12 or any AA approved literature and you will find it. I also suggest that if anybody ever um, gives you a line that's out of the big book, um, not only ask them what page it's on, but go to the page and read the paragraph before that paragraph and the paragraph after. That way you're gonna get it in the context that what they're, uh, of what is meant by what they're trying to say to you. So it's one of the things that I've learned, so I always like to say that to people. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I grew up in, uh, in Lake Tahoe, most of, um, I think we moved up there when I was about 11. I have two older brothers, an older sister, a younger half-sister. Um, my parents got divorced when I was six months old, um, and they each were married four times. So we had a lot of parents running around, and um, our house, <laughs> our houses, wherever we lived. And um, so anyway, when my brothers, my two older brothers, my older brother was four years older than me, the next brother was three years older than me, my sister was 15 months older than me, and then there was me. So go figure why they got a divorce um, right after me, <laughs> you know. So anyway, I was, um, we, uh, I grew up in, well, I was born in California, Northern California. We moved down to Southern California. Then um, my brothers were getting into trouble. My mom wanted to, um, she really wanted to take my brothers somewhere different because she was afraid they were getting into way too much trouble. And um, so we moved up to Lake Tahoe because my uncle owned a motel there and we were gonna manage it. And uh, that's what we did. And uh, what I learned when I look back on it is wherever you go, there you are, because we brought ourselves with us. And my brother still got into trouble. And um, I can't tell you exactly when I started drinking. I can tell you it was somewhere around 13-ish age um, and um, and it wasn't like I was a daily drinker from the time I started it was you know always for fun and that's the thing that I've learned about alcohol is alcohol was always my solution it was never my problem it was totally my solution you know I was I was a party girl let's just have fun let's just there's a reason to celebrate let's drink you know and um, you know we go to the uh, you know football games and all the different events and at high school and then we go drinking afterwards and I had this little problem I would drink one just one drink too much and I'd end up throwing up in people's cars and blacking out and doing all kinds of stupid things and and it was it was kind of crazy you know and but I just kept doing it because it was fun and um, one of the things that I hated the most is to wake up in the morning and to hear the words, do you know what you did last night? <laughs> Those are the worst, the worst. And because I didn't know what I did and I didn't know what I said. And, and I was one of those people that, you know, I'd get on the phone, I'd start dialing. I would dial and boy, I'd be talking and I'd be telling you and I didn't remember any of it the next day. But I'd be tell I, and I knew it all, you know. I'm just thinking I know it all, and I'm drinking along, and it was just crazy. And so anyway, when I was about um, right after I graduated from high school, I moved down to um, Southern California because my dad wanted me to work for him. So I did. He was an accountant, and 
I, I ended up stopping working for him after about a year. And, and I went to um, work in an insurance brokerage firm. And when I was at this firm um, is where I met him. <laughs> and he drank like I drank. And we would go out and there wasn't anywhere we went. If they didn't have alcohol, we didn't go there. That was the rule. And we drank all the time. Now, one of the things, though, is because we didn't want to be, you know, reading chapter three cracked me up the more about alcoholism because what we would do is if you run at five o'clock in the morning, you're doing all that physical exercise, you surely can't be an alcoholic. So what we would end up doing is we'd go out for these runs in the morning and then we'd come home and we would drink um, champagne and orange juice because, you know, that's acceptable at six o'clock in the morning. And uh, whereas certain other liquors weren't. And so that's what we would do. And, and we would just drink and drink. And I was together with him for about, um, I think it was about four and a half years. And I finally said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I, I'm gonna break up. I mean, I'm, I can't do it anymore. And, and so I did the next indicated thing that we do when we be alcoholic and I married him. And um, so we got married, and um, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever woken up uh, out of a blackout in the middle of a blackout, but I have. And um, the interesting thing was, is I don't know what we were fighting about, but I started yelling at my um, then husband, and he put his, I guess I went to go hit him like this, and he blocked, he put his hand up in front of him, and so my hand here hit his arm and I broke my hand in five places at that very moment. So he decided to go to the bar and I called his best friend to take me to the hospital because I couldn't drive myself. And uh, my hand blew up and I had to go through um, two different surgeries, one to put the pins in one to take the pins out, and then I got to go through about 12 weeks of occupational therapy, teach my pinky out of move. And if I ever think I'm not an alcoholic, I just have to look at the scars that are on my hand. And that's a reminder of the way I drink. And, and I had to drink every day, I just had to. And um, so um, about eight months, we were married about eight months, and I found out I was pregnant. And I said, okay, now I knew enough about alcohol syndrome babies that I didn't want to have one. So I said, I'm not going to drink. I'm just not going to drink. But I did drink one, one glass of wine every Saturday night. And I will tell you that that was the grace of God because I've never been able to do that before or since, ever. And um, what I learned was that... that um, I, I just had that one glass of wine. And so while I was pregnant, I went to my husband and I said, why don't we stop drinking? And he looked at me and he said, you're pregnant, I'm not, you quit. Oh, so I said, okay. Now my dad was always an alcoholic, so, and my stepmom went to um, uh, Al-Anon. And so she, uh, at that point, she had been in Al-Anon about 20 years, and she told me I should be going to Al-Anon for my dad. 
So I said, oh, that's a good idea. So I started going to Al-Anon. So I went to this meeting and I went every Friday night. It was at University in Culver and Irvine. And I would go to the meeting and I would sit down and I would listen and then I would leave. But next door, and I didn't talk to anybody really, and it wasn't them that did this, it was me. I was not open to it. And the funny thing was that next door, there was all this clapping and hooting and hollering, everybody's laughing, having a good time. And finally, after several weeks of this, I think it was actually like two months, I finally turned to the girl next to me and I said, what is going on next door? And she looked at me very seriously and she said, oh, those are the alcoholics. They always have fun. <laughs> okay. So I just went on my way, you know, and I had a, a very healthy baby boy and um, everything was great. And um, then I was reading this book and it said one beer a day is really good for mother's milk. And so I just, I, so I started drinking one beer a day, you know, it's so, okay. And um, I got to that point where I had to make the decision. And the decision was, I'm either going to continue drinking and stop nursing, or I'm gonna continue nursing and stop drinking. I continued drinking and stopped nursing because that's what I needed to do. I needed to drink. And um, so I did. And um, things got worse. You know, in that time that I was only drinking one glass of wine, I mean, all of a sudden I picked up the pace and I'll tell you, I was having more blackouts. And, and finally, um, my husband had done something that um, scared me enough and I really believe it was the grace of God. And I do believe that God delivered me to Alcoholics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous delivered me back to God. For that, I'm very, very grateful. And um, so what happened was he almost burned the house down. And I wasn't so concerned about myself, but I was really concerned about my two-year-old son. I was scared to death and I thought, you know what, if I stay here, we're both gonna die, we're all gonna die. This is not good. And so the next day I went down to the bank and I cut our account in half and I took my half and I went and rented a little two-bedroom apartment for my son and I. We moved in there. Problem was, for the next three weeks, I realized that I was having the same blackouts, I'm drinking the same amount of alcohol, and I'm the only one there with my son, and I'm scared now, because there's nobody there to save my son. I mean, I'm drunk. And, um, you know, I was falling going up the stairs. That's hard to do, but I did it. And, you know, it was just, I was, horrible and the problem was I really wanted to stop but then I couldn't like I just couldn't stop like oh I'll do it tomorrow and then no I couldn't stop you know well you know it's like every morning I'd wake up and say I'm never going to drink again never and then that night I put my purse down from coming in from work man first thing I do is pour myself a big old glass of wine because that's what I have to do and and I just think I'm just drinking, but I'm, you know, I'm drinking till I pass out and I can't stop. And I, and I keep thinking that I have control. I, it must be about willpower and I'm just weak. And, um, and I learned that that's not the truth. What I learned is that I have a spiritual malady, a spiritual illness, and that's what has to get taken care of. 
And so um, I remember I was sitting down in my, um, we had this little throwaway newspaper in Irvine. It was the Irvine World News and it came every Thursday. And um, I think this was Saturday morning and I'm going through the paper and I see the all the hotline numbers, you know, suicide prevention hotline and the rape crisis hotline. And at the very bottom, it said Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remembered that Friday night meeting. Now this is a Saturday. So I called the number that's at the bottom and the lady answered the phone, central office. And I said, is this Alcoholics Anonymous? And she said, yes, it is. And I said, do they still have the meeting on Friday night at University in Culver? And she said, yes, they do. I said, great, can you tell me what time it starts? She said, 8 p.m. I said, thank you very much, and I hung up the phone. It did not <clears throat> dawn on me for a minute to ask her if there were any other meetings during the week, because I only went to that one Al-Anon meeting. I didn't know there were a thousand meetings a week in Orange County, who knew, you know? So I remember just saying, God, please, please, Help me just to stay sober till Friday. If I could just get to Friday and just get to that meeting, I, I just knew it was gonna be okay. I didn't know why, but I just knew it was gonna be okay. And, and so I made it. I made it to that Friday. I got a babysitter for my son and, and I went to the meeting and this, when I walked up, I got there a little bit early cause you know, I wanted to check the place out. And um, this guy comes out and he goes, ha. How are you? And I burst into tears. And he said, oh, are you new? <laughs> and I'm like, well, how did he know? <laughs> and um, so I said, yeah, uh, this is my first time. And he said, hold on. And he runs inside and he comes back out and he has two women with him. One had 18 years and one had eight years. I know that the one who had 18 years, she died sober with over... 40 years sobriety um, and you know I stayed in touch with her throughout my sobriety until she passed um, but it was like I was so scared and they told me I never had to be afraid again I never had to be alone if I didn't want to and I never had to drink again if I didn't want to and that they would help me and um, they told me you know that I needed to raise my hand and say that I'm Roseanne, an alcoholic, you know, the first 30 days, and I did, and every day, that I, every meeting that I went to that I did that, I cried. Part of it was because I was scared to death. I had no idea what I was in for, and the other part of me was so grateful because I knew I was at home. And so I um, went to that meeting, and, and, you know, I didn't know really what a sponsor was or what, how... You know, what's a sponsor? What do you do with them? What's the thing? And so this gal came up to me after the meeting, my first meeting, and she said, do you have a sponsor? And I said, no, what is one? You know, what do you do with it? <laughs> and she said, well, she said, first, let me tell you that a sponsor is a guide to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. They are not a god. They guide you through the 12 steps. They're somebody who has already experienced getting sober and walking through and they, they will walk you through, they will take you through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. They introduce you to the meetings they go to. They uh, teach you about the traditions, the 12 traditions. And um, you know, you just, it, it's somebody you can confide in. And 
I said, okay. And she told me that when she first got sober, that um, she learned that uh, it's good to have somebody who has at least one year of sobriety and that they've worked all 12 steps through at least once. So I said, okay. How long have you been sober? And she said, eight and a half years. And I said, have you ever worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? She assured me that she had, so I asked her to be my sponsor. Now, she did not tell me to call her every day. I called her every day because everything was a big deal. Everything, drama, all over the place. I mean, every single day. And um, I was really having a tough time with one day at a time. I'm like, what do you mean one day at a time? Like, I'm thinking, you mean I have to stay sober the rest of my life? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. This is the rest of my life. And it was overwhelming. And if you tell me that I have to do something forever, I can't do it because it's too much. It's too big. So um, she said to me, I said, you know, I, I really have the obsession to drink. And I had the obsession for over 30 days. And she said, well, okay, Roseanne, um, did you, have you had a drink today? And I said, no. And she said, do you think you can not drink between now and the time you go to bed? I go, yeah, I could do that. She goes, okay, tomorrow you can drink, but you have to call me first and you have to talk to me. Right. Cannot leave a message, you just call me, you talk to me. If after you talk to me, you still wanna drink, go ahead and drink. I go, okay. Next day I call her up. She goes, did you drink today? Nope, I didn't drink today. She said, do you think you can not drink between now and the time you go to bed? Yep. Okay, you can drink tomorrow, but you have to call me first. This went on for days. It really did. And then I finally got it. Oh, it's one day at a time. I get it. Because I kept on thinking the rest of my life, and I had to shorten it. I had to make it just quick just little she told me to get you know I still have I don't think I have it in my little purse but um, she told me to keep this card it's got the 12 steps on one side the 12 traditions on another the preamble to Alcoholics Anonymous and the serenity prayer and she said always keep this card in your purse don't leave home without it and I will tell you there were times where I needed to take that thing out go into the bathroom and read it and remember I'm an alcoholic and um, so now, remember, I got sober March 1st. So I said to her one day, how am I going to get, I was 29 years old when I got sober. I'm now 65, if you're wondering. So just to tell you. So I was 29 years old. And I said, how am I going to get through my 30th birthday? And she said, I go, because I drank through every birthday. I mean, there wasn't a birthday I had that I didn't drink at. And she said, well, first of all, when, when is your birthday? And <laughs> November. <laughs> and she said, well, why don't we talk about that as we get closer to November? And I said, okay. And she taught me how I'm supposed to do this one thing at a time, just put my one foot in front of the other. And I was so grateful for that. And um, so at around 90 days, 60, 90 days, I get a call from my estranged husband and he said, Roseanne, you haven't had a drink in, I think it was over 60 days. You haven't had a drink in over 60 days. You can't be an alcoholic. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, how can you be an alcoholic? I drink more than you, but you can't be an alcoholic if you've been able to stay, you know, and he's going on this whole thing and I'm talking to him and I'm like, oh my God, I get off the phone, my head is exploding. 
and it's 11 o'clock at night now and I don't want to call my sponsor. God forbid I call for help, right? It's, 11, it's too late, I don't want to bother her. So I did something, the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. My mother knows nothing about any 12-step group at all. I pick up the phone and I call my mom. And I go, Mom, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. I just talked to Jim, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going through this whole thing and I'm crying. And she said the best thing that she has ever said to me in my life, Roseanne, isn't there someone you're supposed to call? <laughs> and I remembered, and I remembered that my sponsor had said to me, you can call me anytime. I have a switch on my phone and I'll turn, turn my phone off. If I turn the switch off, I won't hear the phone ring. This is back in the eighties. So, you know, we had bells on switches on phones and, um, and, uh, and she said, what I really want to make sure you do is make sure you always get a phone list and that you, uh, if you can't reach me, that you start calling down the phone list because um, it doesn't matter. Eventually, you'll get to who God wants you to talk to. And, um, and what I learned from this whole experience was that my sponsor will always be there when I need her. Not necessarily when I want her, but always when I need her. And so... Um, so I called her. I was scared to death, really. I was just dying. I picked up that 5,000-pound telephone to call her at 11 o'clock. It was after 11 now. And she answered the phone. And it was amazing. And she said to me, and I'm telling her, I don't think, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. And she said, Roseanne, maybe you're not. What? She goes, yeah. She goes, look, um, if, you, if you don't know yet, if you're an alcoholic. And then she started reminding me of all the things I'd shared with her in the previous 60 days. <laughs> kind of, That kind of did it right there. But she said, this is what I want you to do. I'd like you to do some controlled drinking out there because it's really hard on me if, a, if I have somebody that I sponsor and they have a whole year and then they go out. So you only have a couple months. If you're gonna do it, do it now if you don't know. By the end of the call, I'm screaming into the phone, I'm an alcoholic. I've never doubted it since, you know. I never have because I, I remember I am an alcoholic. And um, it's not the amount of booze you drink. It's how it affects you. That's what I've learned um, for me. And so um, anyway, she got me started on, on working the steps. You know, I would read out of the big book. I would... She would have me read, and oh, when she first had me read out of the big book, she told me this is how I was supposed to start. She said, um, I want you to start reading out of the big book, but you're not going to start on page one. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm smart. She's going to help me go ahead. No. She told me to, she always told me to read with a highlighter. And what she said was, um, I want you to start at the table of contents, and I want you to read the preface and the first forward, and the second forward, and the third forward, and the doctor's opinion, and Bill's story. And then you read the other chapters all the way until you get to page 44. That, all of that is like step one. When you're done reading that, go to the 12 and 12 and read step one out of the 12 and 12. And when you're done with all the reading, then just write down on a piece of paper, pen and paper, pen and paper, and write down what step one means to you. And I thought, okay. 
She said, it doesn't, because I, I don't care if it's a paragraph, a page, a sentence, it doesn't matter. If it's a couple page, whatever, whatever it means to you, that's what I want you to write down, and then we'll get together. Okay, so that's what I did. And basically, that was every, every step. And that's where I really learned that I am powerless over alcohol and that my life has become unmanageable. If I ever think that I have power over alcohol, I'm doomed. I'm absolutely doomed. To this day, I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable by myself. With God, it's not. With God, he helps me do everything. So I start working the steps and I'm doing all the steps. And, and the interesting thing was when I got to the the fourth step, I didn't understand it. I read it, I had to read it like three times. And I would go to my sponsor and say, I don't get what it's saying. And she said, read it again. And then she finally said to me, Roseanne, just read the black print. You know, I'm reading between the lines. I'm trying to guess what they're doing, what they're saying. No, just read what it says. And one time she said to me, this is a very simple program for very complicated people, and we want to complicate all of it. And it's really not complicated. It's very simple. We just want to make it complicated. And so um, I'm, I do my fourth step, and then I thought I just had to you know, hand her the thing, and she's going to read it. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time that I had to read it to her, and I did, and I was like, ugh. i kind of embarrassed and scared and and... Then she started sharing with me the things that she had done. And what a blessing that was, you know? And I find that I'm not alone, that I'm not, the only, I'm not terminally unique. If we are terminally unique, we are in big trouble. That's what I've learned for me anyway. Um, and so, um, you know, I do the fourth, I do the fifth step. And with the sixth step, the sixth step I thought was the short, I'm like, that's the one paragraph, one, in the big book. It's the shortest chapter in the 12 and 12. Quick. It's got to be a quick step. It is the longest step that I've ever worked. Because we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character means you have to know what they are. Now, I could point out all of your character defects, but I certainly couldn't point out mine. And that's why when I sat with my sponsor, and I did my fifth step, and she could write down all the different, my different character defects, and then we go to agreement of what those character defects are. And what I learned to do is, and this is what I do with the girls that I sponsor, is um, I have them write uh, each character defect on a three by five card, and on the same side of the card of the defect, let's say, it, let's just say it's dishonesty, then on that same side right across, you write honesty. And then you take all your cards and you put them face down, shuffle them up, and you ask God to show you which, pair, which um, character defect you need to work on just for that day. Because see, I can work on, if you just give me one character defect, I can do it. But if you tell me that I have to look at all of my character defects, that, then I'm gonna either commit homicide or suicide. You know, because it's too overwhelming again. I can't handle all that, looking at all of that. And so if I got the honesty and dishonesty, I would ask God, okay, God, please show me where I'm honest today and please show me where I'm dishonest. And at the end of the day, I would review and I would see where I was honest and dishonest. And what I really learned was I was cash register honest, but I lied to myself a lot. 
And I didn't realize the lies I was telling myself until I was working on this, um, you know, my relationship with God and working on, on, on getting through, working through these steps. And I still work through these steps. Whatever steps the girls are on that I'm working, that they're working, I'm working it with them. So, you know, you got to give it away to, to keep it. And um, so one of the things that I um, really want to share is, oh, goodness, time. Um, so my husband and I, um, we got a divorce and um, we stayed really good friends. We talked every single day. So um, my son now is 38 years old. Um, the, the first son that I had. And um, uh, he doesn't remember, he, he was two when I got sober, so he doesn't remember me drinking, thank God. And um, one of the things that happened was when I was about hmm, six years sober, I met a guy in the program. He had a year of sobriety, so I did not 13 step him. It was his one year birthday. And, um, <laughs> and so we started dating. We were introduced by, some, by a mutual friend. And we ended up getting married a year later on his AA birthday, which is kind of a problem when they go out if that's your anniversary date. And um, so, and he had, we, we stayed married for um, about, we were, we were married for 15 years and together for 16. And, um, and I finally, with my second husband, I had to divorce him because I couldn't, I couldn't be around it. I couldn't do it anymore. But with my first husband, we were still, you know, we were always talking and everything. And my second husband was getting ready. I'm kind of jumping around, but my second husband was getting ready to go on a trip with our church to Haiti. And he was going to be gone for like two weeks. And I wasn't going to be able to reach him at all, no matter what. And so I told my sponsor, okay, if I call, that means I really need you. <laughs> and um, she's like, okay. And this was the time that we had those big, this is in the 90s now, so we have those big brick telephone, you know, cell phone things. And so um, the grace of God, again, um, this is in 1997, April 14th, 1997. Here's the grace of God. I walk in the house with my five-year-old because I had a son with my second husband. And um, my son, who was 12 at the time, he and I picked up the phone at the same time. And when he realized that I had the phone, that I picked it up, he hung up the phone. That's the grace of God. Because on the other end of the line was a police officer from the Irvine Police Department. And he's asked me who I was and he said, ma'am, um, I need you to come down to the Irvine Medical Center to identify the body of, and he said, my first husband's name. And I had chills go through me like goosebumps, but they didn't leave for a week. I now know that to be shock. I didn't know it at the time, but I was just shocked. And um, see what had happened was he had been, um, when I had a year of sobriety, he caught this disease and he, this illness and he, he got sober and he started going to a meeting every day, 6 a.m. He was going to a meeting in Tustin. And I was like, wow, maybe we could get back together, you know, and that wasn't gonna happen. But we, we learned to really appreciate one another and just, you know, 
everybody does their own thing and and it was fine that we were divorced um but then all of a sudden after a year and a half of him going to this meeting all the time everybody becomes an idiot and why does he have to tell his sponsor this and i don't have to do that oh god we're going to listen to her again she always says the same thing you know you get you get these things going and you start picking out all the the bad things that are going on at the meetings and this is the common thing that i have seen from people who go out and drink again this is what is all about the pride because we lie to ourselves and the pride is the one that's going to kill us because we don't have to tell this person that we don't have to you know do these things and what happened was he had been drinking again and i have never seen anybody that died before as a direct result of the disease of alcoholism but this day i did and i had to identify him and um so when we both picked up the phone at the same time and he hung up the phone and that police officer said that you know wanted he wanted me to come down i hung up the phone i called a neighbor gal down the street that i used to use for babysitting and asked her to come down i said i can't tell you it i just have to go to the hospital i need you to come down right away i have an emergency my son's like mom what's going on what's going on and i said i can't tell you anything i didn't even tell him it was his dad i just i just said i have to go to the hospital i will tell you everything when i get back i can't tell you anything right now and thank god that those were the words that i used so i call my sponsor on that big old cell phone now my sponsor always went to the gym after work she never went straight home ever 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 but when i called she answered the phone this one time she went again my sponsor will always be there when i need her not necessarily when i want her she met me at the hospital when i identified the body of my first husband and but for the grace of god there go i and i had the duty of going home to my then 12-year-old son and telling him that his father had just died as a direct result of the disease of alcoholism i don't know if you've ever heard the um there's a name for it i don't remember what the name is but it's a when an animal in the wild howls the pain just the pain of the of an animal just howling that's the sound that came from my son i pray to god i never forget that sound because but for the grace of god there go i i don't know why i get to keep why i stayed sober and why he didn't other than i still do the same things i did when i first got sober because they keep me sober and i don't know what one little thing is the one thing that's keeping me sober and so you know when i told my son i would, the good news was i was able to um honor his dad my first husband have a full military because he had been in the marine corps and had a full military funeral and and just honored him my son does not remember me ever saying a bad word about his dad because you people taught me 
<laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous taught me that if I ever had, if I said anything bad, I was going to have to go make an amends, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I already had to make an amends to him. I didn't want to do it again. So, um, you know, I had to keep my side of the street clean, and um, and that's what we do. And um, one of the other things that, that happened was my, um, my sister and I, my older sister, um, she was an alcoholic my whole life and not my whole life from the time you know when she was a teenager on and um, she moved to Hawaii when she was 18 she lived there for 36 years and um, she really was into you know a lot of but a lot of stuff and anyway um, we were estranged for about 10 years from uh, 2003 to 2013 and in 2013 I got the God nudge it's kind of like step seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings and one of the things that happened for me was I kept on getting this God nudge like call your sister and I'm thinking what what do you mean call my sister and uh, I mean he, I didn't audibly hear it I just knew that I was supposed to call my sister. And so I ended up um, uh, calling my sister. And it was on Father's Day. Our, our father had passed away in 2000. Oh, I guess it was 2000 was when we stopped talking. So it's 13 years that we didn't speak. And um, so now it's Father's Day. And I remembered her phone number. I called the number and she answered it. And I said, surely it's Roseanne. And she started to cry. And I said, look, see, I didn't owe her an amends for anything, <laughs> but she owed me an amends. But what I learned in, in Alcoholics Anonymous is I'm not to tell her that. That's her thing. My thing is to keep my side of the street clean. So I said, look, I just want to let bygones buy bygones. I don't want to um, have any, um, you know, I don't want to rehash anything. I just want to start brand new. As sisters, start brand new. She goes, oh, that's all I've ever wanted. She's crying and stuff. And like, all right. So then she, this was in June of 2013. And she tells me that in July, she's moving back to the mainland. She's actually going to move to my mom's in Lake Tahoe. So... I go, okay, so now I start calling her every week. I don't know why I'm calling her every week. I remember even saying, God, why am I calling her? I mean, because she'd say stuff and I'm like, whatever, you know, but I was nice and kind on the phone and polite. And, you know, I, I started to, we started to build a new relationship. So we're having this new sister relationship <laughs> and, and it's getting better and better. And her birthday was August 9th. And so I called her up on her birthday to wish her happy birthday. And we had this great call. And, um, and, you know, it was a nice talk and everything. And, um, you know, I'm still asking God, you know, why? Why am I calling her? I found out on August 14th of 2013. And what had happened was on that day, well, I, I actually didn't find out about it until August 15th. But on the 14th of August my sister was stabbed to death. She was murdered. And I thank God that I followed that God nudge. That when that 
when I was thinking, okay, it's not that I have to make an amends. I just have to say, let's start brand new. Let's let bygones be bygones. Because you see, my younger sister, they were not on good terms. And she was not on good terms with my mom and she was not on good terms with my brother. But I was, I was clean, we were clean. And I was able to, when they, um, yes, we knew who it was, he was arrested, he's in prison. And I was able to go to the courthouse and write a letter to the judge and read the letter to the judge explaining to him how my sister and I had been estranged for 13 years and how we had just reconciled two months before. And now this guy has robbed me of my relationship with my sister. But I'm so grateful that I listened to that because had I not, had I just gone on my own will, you know, and my own pride, I wouldn't have called her up. I wouldn't have said anything. But these are the things that I learned, you know, and, and um, oh, how much time do I have? Do I have like five? Okay. So um, anyway, what happened was after that, it does get better. <laughs> um, I really do believe that everything that I experience is a lesson or a gift. I have believed that since early on in my sobriety. If I look at it any other way, I become a victim. And if I become a victim, then it's the pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. And that's something, you know, I know I have another drunk in me. I don't know that I have another sober in me. My fear is not that I would die. My fear is that I would live. That would be worse if I went back out and drank. And so anyway, I was working on the... Um, I finally said, okay, that's it. I'm not dating anybody. I'm done with relationships. It's forget it. I've had my two. That's okay. I have my two kids. I'm good. And um, uh, I also had gone back to school and I became a paralegal. And um, uh, and then I was working on this committee, Southern California AA Convention Committee. And um, just, you know, being of service, that's all. That's all I wanted to do. And, <laughs> and then I met him. <laughs> and so... He and I, and he was the same thing. He didn't want to get married again or anything like that. He, and then, but we fell in love and we got married. His name was Ray. He was my ray of sunshine. And um, so we were married October 10th, 2014. And two weeks before our first wedding anniversary, we found out that he, well, he was diagnosed with two different types of cancer. Now we thought it was only, he was only gonna live for about a year, year and a half, but he lasted four and a half years. And we had the greatest marriage because we talked about everything. You know, we just talked about everything. We both had our separate sponsors, but we talked about everything. And I learned that communication is key, absolutely key. Even when you're afraid, it's like, I learned not to assume here. You know, when I assume that somebody's feeling something, that's when I have to know, don't go there. Go ask them if they're feeling what they're feeling. Don't assume they're feeling a certain way. And, um, you know, I've been given so many gifts in this program. Um, my son, as I said, he's 38 years old. He's married. Um, he had, he and his wife had my grandson. Um, he's, my grandson's now a year old. 
all last year I got to go down to San Diego once a week and um, help take care of my grandson. What a blessing. They've now moved to Texas, so now I go to Texas to see them, and that's okay. And, um, you know, it's great. My youngest son, Chris, he, um, when he was 14, he went out of control. And he, um, I ended up having to send him to a ranch in Utah. And um, he now has about a year and a couple of months sober. And he just got engaged um, this last weekend. So he's gonna get married. And I really like both my, do my daughter-in-laws. And you know, I learned to do things one day at a time here. I learned to, to just put one foot in front of the other. I learned to be of love and service. That's what's, what it's about. If I'm not of love and service, then I'm doing something wrong. And if I'm just doing the service, expecting to get things back from it, I'm doing it the wrong way. It's, you, you just give, you just give and you, and, and it starts getting better all the time. I mean, that's been my experience, you know, is, is just to give back. I can never give back to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous what it has so freely given me. The women that have spent hours talking to me and, um, and the men too, and just guiding me through things, you know, um, it's just been amazing. I know there's something else I want to say, but I don't remember what it is, so I will end the way that I usually like to end my talk, and it's, um, it's an Indian proverb because it really sums up how I feel about Alcoholics Anonymous, and it goes like this. If you meet a man and he's hungry, give him a fish and he can eat for one day, but if you teach him how to fish, he can eat for the rest of his life. That is what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. Thank you for letting me share. I'm less alcoholic. Let's give Cora and, and Rosanna hand for a great meeting. God has a master plan. We didn't even get a drop of water. <laughs> anyway, I'm your great fine rep. In uh, two years for 50, 54 bucks, one year for 28. Meeting in a print, you could give it away to a recovery house or send one to a prison or put one in your car so when you're stuck on stupid, you could read a story and, and it'll straighten you out for a minute. And uh, I, I want to give this one away. What we do is I, we give them away and then read it and then bring it back as we recirculate them. And uh, I have this one as the gift of gratitude. Gratitude is a salve that heals all wounds. So, who'd like to have the gift of gratitude? But come on up and get it. All right, good for you. Yes, yes, right. You can't be grateful and thirsty at the same time. Good for you. Yeah. Okay, uh, I want to thank. Uh, Carlo for the cook and Fernando for the great and everybody that brought the good food and everybody that's been of service here. If you want to be of service, see Fernando or I. Uh, we always need a lot of help afterwards cleaning up and taking the stuff to Fernando's truck. So if you want to help, stay, stay after and help us. Hey, Tina, you got the, the raffle stuff? Where's Tina? I'm right here. You got the, the bucket? All right.
We also have we have a meeting list here, so if if you don't have a list uh, a list of names and stuff, we got a a great list here. Come up afterwards, and I'll, if you need one, I'll give you one. All right, go ahead. Uh, Victor's looking for a sponsor. Victor's in the back. If anybody's interested in in uh, offering him some suggestions on sobriety, Victor's over here. Okay, wonderful. Yay! Thank you, Victor. Okay. Let's see. Let's give one of these away. We got a vintage As Bill Sees It. And we got a vintage third edition with the um, book cover, a soft cover, big book. Pick one. Don't pick mine. Don't pick yours? No. Okay, put the <laughs> All right, the num the last three numbers is six nine zero. It's me. No, just pick another one. <laughs> it's you. Give it to her. All right, which one do you want, Nicole? Come on up. By the way, your husband was a great man, Ray. He was the third edition. Did you know Ray? Yeah. Yeah, he was a good, good man. And he'd like to do H&I. He got sober in the sobriety capital of the world. That's right. Right here. <laughs> okay, pick another yeah. one. Yeah, he was a cool guy. Love that guy. Yay! Come on, last picket. Oh, wow. Look, look at this. Four sevens. Seven, 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 seven. seven. Come on. You got it. Way, yeah. Wonderful. The, thank you guys for participating in our, our raffle each week. 777. Thank you. All right. I wish I had more to give next time. That's it. All right. I would like to thank everybody for participating. And uh, Jess, you want to come up and read the promises? Pray us out of here. All right, Jesse. All right. Thank you. Sure. Yes, alcoholic. Yes. Promises. If we are painstaking about the, this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past no wish to shut the door on it we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace no matter how far down the scale we have gone we will see how our experience can benefit others that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear we will lose interest in our selfish things and gain interest in our fellows self-seeking will slip away our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. By these extravagant promises, we think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence, for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of our these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire please join me in 
the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Find the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Keep coming back. Woo-hoo!